From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. The family of murdered Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh appeals to Congress for a U.S. investigation of the crime. Any family of a U.S. citizen who is killed abroad expects their government to put its resources behind an investigation. This is the very least the Biden administration must do. They cannot rely on Israel's word. War criminals cannot investigate their own crimes. And for this month's deep dive into media and culture, I discuss with journalist John Jeter Abu Akleh's murder, as well as ongoing perception management of the Ukraine war and the economic fallout. If we were a functioning democracy, you would be hearing nothing else but we're in a recession, we're in a recession. But you don't see that. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, it could be that after a year of delays, one small slice of the Build Back Better Human Needs legislation passed by the House last year may finally pass the Senate based on a surprise deal reached between Senate Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia titled the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, the proposed law has very little that will immediately address rising costs due to corporate price hikes. Rather, it invests $369 billion to address the climate catastrophe, including tax credits or consumer rebates for electric cars and efficient appliances, environmental and climate justice block grants to reduce pollution and improve public health, and a fee on the oil and gas industry for the methane pollution they flare, vent, and leak during extraction. President Biden touted the act at a Thursday press briefing at the White House. It will be the most important investment, not hyperbole, the most important investment we've ever made in our energy security and developing cost savings uh, and job-creating clean energy solutions for the future. It's a big deal. A statement released by Climate Power The League of Conservation Voters and others said that there are also harmful trade-offs that Senate negotiators included in order to reach the deal. Quote, these trade-offs include less funding than initially proposed by President Biden, two new provisions that promote dirty fossil fuels by tying offshore wind leasing to massive new oil and gas lease sales, and an agreement to later pursue changes to how new infrastructure is permitted, possibly including dirty pipelines, end quote. But after a year of obstruction by Manchin and another right-wing Democrat, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, some activists are taking a wait-and-see attitude. Morris Pearl, chair of the Patriotic Millionaires, wondered whether Bill will even make it to Biden's desk. Quote, we'll believe it when we see it pass on the floor of the Senate, Pearl said in a statement on Wednesday. We've been down this road before until Senators Manchin and Cinema give us proof that their tag team two-face act is over. We're not going to get our hopes up, end quote.
And as just one example of how politics often overrides common sense in Washington, after this climate deal was announced, Senate Republicans were furious that Democrats might actually have a win and voted down another law called the Honoring Our Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act, or the PACT Act, which provides care for veterans poisoned by exposure to chemical weapons like Agent Orange or by burn pits. Comedian John Stewart, who has championed the cause of health care for 9-11 first responders, was on Capitol Hill Thursday cursing out Republicans for this vote on health care for the U.S. military. I'm used to the hypocrisy. Senator Pat Toomey won't take a meeting with the veterans groups. Sends out his chief of staff. I'm used to the cowardice. I've been here a long time. Senate's where accountability goes to die. These people don't care. They're never losing their jobs. They're never losing their health care. I'm used to all of it, but I am not used to the cruelty. According to PBS NewsHour weekend anchor Jeff Bennett, Schumer said the Senate will vote again on the PACT Act on August 1st. And finally, in culture and media, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said Moscow will soon propose a time for a call with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, in which Blinken has proposed discussing an exchange of prisoners held in Russian and U.S. jails to obtain the release of U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner and former Marine Paul Whelan, both imprisoned in Russia. These two would be exchanged for a convicted arms trafficker, Victor Boot, jailed in the United States. Lavrov told a news conference that talks on prisoner exchanges had been taking place since a summit in Geneva last year between Presidents Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. He said a time for the call with Blinken was being worked out. And after far-right Congressman Matt Gates verbally attacked pro-abortion activists as being ugly and overweight, a 19-year-old Texas student activist raised $1 million in less than 72 hours to assist those in need of abortion services. The student, who tweets under the name Olivia Juliana, responded to Gates's insults on Twitter, but he only responded back to her by posting a photo of her as if to prove his insulting point subjecting her to a barrage of hate mail. But Olivia also received support totaling close to $1.4 million as of early Friday morning for the organization Gen Z for Choice. And those are our headlines and happenings. Up next, the family of slain journalist Shireen Abu Akleh. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. Say, say, you read the same way. Who were, who were, who 
Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for coming here today and being with the Abu Akli family. Uh, my name is Deanna Butu. On May the 11th, Palestinian American journalist with Al Jazeera, Shirin Abu Akli, was in Jenin in the Israeli occupied city uh, in the West Bank. She was there to cover Israel's invasion of the city. That morning, Shirin is seen on camera donning her flak jacket with the word press on it and her protective helmet and speaking to her colleagues as she prepared to report. As was her practice for 25 years, she made herself known to the Israeli army and she made sure that they saw her as she prepared to report. Despite that, moments later, Shirin was killed by an Israeli soldier who shot her dead in the back of the head. Her colleague Ali was also injured. As bystanders and colleagues tried to rescue her, they too were shot. As is Israel's practice, they tried to deflect and to deny responsibility. And in Shirin's case, despite the presence of numerous witnesses, they tried to do the same. Numerous newspapers and organizations were conduct, had conducted investigations and concluded that an Israeli soldier killed Shirin. But even this, and more importantly, we know that if Shirin, the only reason that Shirin was in Jenin was because the Israeli army was in Jenin. Had the Israeli army not been in Jenin, Shirin would not have been in the city either she would be here with us today. Despite all of these reports and despite the promises made, the U.S. has yet to conduct an independent, transparent investigation, nor hold Shirin's killers or the government that killed her responsible. As a result, the family has come here to seek an investigation, to seek justice, to seek accountability for Shirin's murder. It's, it's shocking to me that they had to come here rather than the U.S. administration going to them. They had to come over here to seek justice rather than the other way around. Now, we all know that Shirin was a prominent journalist with Al Jazeera, but she was also a sister. She was also an aunt. She was also a mentor to so many. She was also a role model to so many. And she was a friend to so many including to me. We mourn her loss every single day. And more importantly, we are now seeking answers. We are demanding accountability. We are demanding justice. So I thank you for coming here today. We have, we're first going to hear from Shirin's family, followed by uh, representatives of the Congress. I first want to introduce you to Victor Abu Akli, Shirin's nephew. Thank you all for being here to bear witness to my family's search. Our search for the truth, our search uh, for justice, our, our search to hold those responsible for my aunt's murder accountable. 
My name is Victor Abakli and Shirin Abakli was my aunt. When I look at all your cameras pointing at me, I think of Shirin. My aunt Shirin worked as a journalist for 25 years before a highly trained Israeli soldier killed her on May 11, 2022. She was killed on assignment at age 51, the rest of her life stolen from her. We will never see her face again at our family reunions in San Francisco. Her seat at the Christmas table and Palm Sunday lunch will forever be empty. Millions of Palestinians who looked forward to Shireen's news reports will never see her face on the television again. She was the familiar face, the trusted voice, like a strong, knowledgeable relative who appears on screen to reassure you with the facts and analysis you need to make sense of the often absurd and cruel world around you. In a place like occupied Palestine, where you have so little control of your day-to-day -day life, Knowing you will see the same friendly face every day was a great source of comfort for millions of Palestinians. Reports from the United Nations, the New York Times, CNN, and many others have concluded that Israeli soldiers killed my aunt Shirin. There is no doubt. But we are standing here now because we still have hope. Our spirit is strong. Our family, me, my sister Lena, my father Anton and my mother Lisa came to Washington DC this week because when someone you love is killed in a senseless way, anyone would want answers. We want to know who pulled the trigger and why, and we want there to be accountability for the system that gave the green light so that other families don't suffer the way that we have. The reality, of, uh, of course, is that in Palestine, our family's grief is not unique. Shirin wasn't even the first US citizen killed by Israel this year. President Biden said that Shireen's killing was a loss to America, and we appreciate these words. But now is the time for action. Journalists should never be targeted while doing their job, no matter which country they're reporting from. There must be consequences for killing a U.S. citizen, a journalist, and most importantly, a human being. Thank you. Thank you very much, Victor. I now want to call uh, Shirin Abu Akli's brother, uh, Anton Tony, to speak. My name is Anton Abu Akli, and Shirin was my little sister. When President Biden was coming to Jerusalem earlier this month, I thought for sure he would meet with us. A U.S. citizen, a prominent journalist, beloved by millions of people, was killed by a highly trained Israeli soldier. President Biden was 10 minutes away. He never came to see us. So we had to come here to Washington with support from a community of wonderful people who share our commitment to justice for Shireen. We were able to arrange meetings with more than a dozen members of Congress, some of whom are standing beside me. President Biden still hasn't agreed to meet us. We need him to hear from us directly so that he understands the pain our family and too many other Palestinians have endured. President Biden has the power to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We need him to follow his words with meaningful action. Shirin deserves justice, and our demand remains the same, a U.S. investigation that leads to real accountability. Thank you. Now want to have uh, Lina Abu Akli, Shirin's niece, to come and speak. My name is Lina Abu Akli, and Shirin was my aunt. On Monday, 
As we prepare for our meetings on the Hill, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Blinken's office called my father and said we had an appointment with Mr. Blinken the next day. We went to his office with one specific action we need the Biden administration to take now. Launch a thorough, credible, independent, and transparent investigation into Shirin's killing that leads to accountability. Any family of a U.S. citizen who is killed abroad expects their government to put its resources behind an investigation. This is the very least the Biden administration must do. They cannot rely on Israel's word. War criminals cannot investigate their own crimes. Too many Palestinian families suffer every day as our family is suffering now. They all deserve to live in safety with their families. They all deserve justice. They all deserve freedom. We made this demand clear to Secretary Blinken, but he did not make us any promises. He did say that the Biden administration would be more transparent and keep us informed moving forward, which would be correcting an error that should not have been made in the first place. We appreciate that Secretary Blinken emphasized his commitment to accountability. We also know that accountability requires action if he really means it. It will require honest, swift and bold action by him and others in the administration who are concerned about the well-being of their citizens and their journalists working abroad. To the members of Congress that are here, all those of you in the U.S., Pal Palestine and around the world who have sent us messages of support and encouragement, thank you. Your kindness carries us when our hearts are breaking and we are tired from this fight. We are a family in mourning. Shirin's killing devastated us, and we shouldn't have to fight for justice. But believe us when we say, we will pursue accountability for Shirin Abu Akleh, wherever it takes us. A passionate journalist, a proud Palestinian, and a proud American. A beloved aunt, sister, and a friend. Your memory and legacy will, forever, will live forever. Shirin, we love you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I now want to call Representative Andre Carson from Indiana. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for uh, weathering this extreme heat. And to the family, thank you. It's unfortunate that you have to mourn and suffer in this heat. As we continue to mourn the loss of this great journalist and fellow American, uh, I believe that this was an attack on the fourth estate, the free press, which is vitally important to our society. You know, we need answers to hold the perpetrators fully accountable. From day one, the Israeli government has denied Shireen's murder. There is no reason for them to be conducting an investigation. You may not like that, but that's the truth. It makes it more important for our government to conduct our own investigation. Shireen needs justice. Every American killed abroad is entitled to our protection. Every human killed, American or not, deserves justice, Palestinians included, black folks included. We want answers. We need to ensure that these answers are accurate, that they are transparent, and that they are timely. It has been two months since Shireen's death, and we have yet to hold her perpetrators accountable. The State Department released their statements of the summation of the Israeli and PA investigations, but that is not enough, nor is it what our request has been from the beginning. We introduced an amendment to the NDA with language that has already passed the House and Senate for Jamal Khashoggi. 
Unfortunately, our amendment for Shireen hasn't been made in order in the Rules Committee. Now, this standalone bill requires a report on Shireen's death by the Department of State, the FBI in consultation with the DOD, and the National Director of Intelligence. We are urging our colleagues to see this as a free press issue, to put aside Israeli and Palestinian politics, and to see this for what it is, an attack on independent reporting. We're going to keep circulating our dear colleague until we get 218 original co-sponsors for this bill. We want to work with the family and advocates to build up strong support for the Justice for Shireen Act. We're also working to introduce another bill, the Justice for Journalists Act, this Congress, to require relevant agencies to report on the death of all American journalists killed in the line of duty. This fight for answers is unacceptable. Everyone deserves justice, including Shireen. Thank you to the family for being here. Thank you very much, Representative Andre Carson from Indiana. Thank you for your support. Uh, I'd like now to call Representative Rashida Talib from Michigan. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, good afternoon. I'm sorry, just trying to find it. It isn't easy to come to Capitol Hill as a family, that you're here to ask that your sister, your aunt's life to matter to her own country. So I know it hasn't been easy for the family. Shireen's life was not disposable. Her killing was not an accident. Even as they tried to taint her name, it was impossible because Shireen was an incredible human being. Even as her family and those that loved, that loved her so much tried to mourn her death, they were met with violence and disgusting attempts to drop her body to the ground. The this is the life of Palestinians in Israel. Even after death, the dehumanization doesn't stop. Our country can stop it, though. We must help stop the enabling of more death and violence by just looking away, right? They continue to look away. And it isn't lost on me at all that maybe, maybe if for some of my colleagues, that if they need to take out the word Palestinian from Palestinian American for her life to matter, that they actually would support it. It isn't lost on me or other Americans that we have different standards applied when it comes to Israel, even as they kill Americans, including 78-year-old Omar Assad, or who is on his way from just playing cards with his cousin. You know, I was in my 20s. I don't know if you know this, Lena. I was in my 20s when I heard the killing of Rachel Curry, how she was run over with a bulldozer by Israel. I knew when her, fa her family didn't get justice that Israel would have Im impunity for future killings of Americans. The fact that Shireen's family is forced to come here and demand that the State Department and our government, the U.S. government, to get up, literally, to hold her killers accountable and prevent this awful tragedy from repeating itself again, again, and again. It's shameful. I remember Lena telling me her niece telling me that this is what Shireen would have wanted. She wanted, would want to make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. When Americans are killed abroad, it is more or less a standard procedure for our government to open an investigation. But when the murders wear Israeli uniforms, there's complete silence. Poor Rachel Corey's family to this day has been waiting for justice since 2003 and still nothing. 
Shireen wasn't even only an American murdered by apartheid state of Israel, but they were also, she was also part of the journalist community. That's why I'm proud to demand that Biden administration direct the Department of Justice, including the Human Rights and Special Prosecution Section and the FBI and other relevant U.S. offices or agencies to launch a thorough, credible, independent and transparent investigation into Shireen, Omar and Rachel's murders. It is also clear that the State Department has comprehensively failed to live up to its mission to protect Americans abroad when they are murdered in the hands of Israel. This is why I encourage again my colleagues to stand up with us in regards to this. But one thing that I know in Tony, Lena, Victor, I just want you to know I'm in awe of your courage to get up every morning these last few days to meet with members of Congress and the head of state wasn't easy. I know your hope is that President Biden would agree to hear your plea for help and get the justice your family and, and our journalist community deserve. I know I promise you this, many of us standing with you here today are gonna continue to fight along your side every step of the way. Again, thank you for your determination, your strength and living up to the legacy of Shireen. She would want you here standing here to make sure that no one else is killed in this way and that they deserve justice. That was Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and before her, Representative Andre Carson of Indiana, who followed the niece, nephew, and brother of journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, all speaking at a press conference on Capitol Hill Thursday, July 28, 2022. This is On the Ground. Up next, more on the media with John Jeter. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And I'm excited to be joined again by our media critic, John Jeter. He is a former Foreign Bureau Chief for the Washington Post and author of Flat Broke in the Free Market, How Globalization Fleeced Working People. He joins us from Limon, Costa Rica. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks for having me, Esther. Well, there's a lot for us to get into this week, actually. The family of slain journalist Shireen Abu Akleh held a press conference uh, on Capitol Hill. And just before our segment, I played a good portion of that press conference when her family really talked about the failure of President Biden to meet with them when he was in Jerusalem. I assume many of them are in Palestine. And also after they made the trip all the way here to Washington, D.C., he did not meet with them. Instead, Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with them, and he, I don't know, I guess he assured them that there would be, that they would continue to pursue justice, but it doesn't sound like the U.S. is actually making its own independent investigation into her murder and is instead allowing the 
Israelis to basically investigate themselves. So why don't we start with her story and what's happened so far in that case? Yeah, I, I find it astounding the uproar over, and justifiably so, that there is an uproar over the Saudis murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, a Washington Post journalist who was murdered for speaking ill of the Saudi Arabian royal family and the corruption therein, and the pressure on Joe Biden to speak power to power, I guess you would say, to the Saudi family uh, in his recent meeting there. But there's been almost no uproar in the media about... Shireen Abouakli. Yeah, there's been no uproar about the murder, which has been verified by, I think, several news organizations now, uh, and certainly the people on the ground who said that uh, Shireen could only have been killed by snipers employed by the Israeli Defense Forces, that it was physically impossible for anyone else to have done it. So it's just the contradictions just seem to sort of be myriad within this tale. One of the curious things for me, you know, we talk a lot about theory and geopolitics and all of these sort of arrangements. But one of the things that stands out for me is sort of what outrages our ruling class and the government. And that this journalist, this Palestinian journalist who was blatantly murdered, uh, had press emblazoned on her vest, uh, a Palestinian American, that she's just shot down, gunned down in the streets. And that Joe Biden should be outraged. Kamala Harris should be outraged. Anthony Blinken should be outraged. Why aren't they? Well, you know, there's two things that I'm thinking about. The fact that, you know, she's not the first American murdered by the Israelis, and there's been nothing done uh, earlier in recent months. And within the past year, there was another elderly Palestinian American man. Omar Abdul Majid Assad. He was 80 years old who basically, you could say, died in Israeli custody. He was picked up just, I think he was going to go play a card game or something. They picked him up, roughed him up, left him to have a heart attack on the ground, and just left him there to die. And this is a case that also received no response from the U.S. And, of course, everyone knows the case of Rachel Corey, who was run over by a bulldozer by the Israeli so-called defense authorities. 2003, that's right. And, I mean, I guess her case is almost kind of like the, the children who were murdered in Connecticut, you know, by uh, someone with a AK-47. And when that happened, and this country made no change to gun laws, when those little white kids were killed, right, and there were no changes, I said, okay, there's, no, there's not going to be any changes, right? So to me, in my mind, I, I recognize those two cases. And then when you're talking about Khashoggi, I want to point you to and listeners to the Multipolarista platform put together by Ben Norton, who we've spoken to recently. And he has a very in-depth piece on really examining who Jamal Khashoggi was, right? And he talks about him being very close to U.S. intelligence. And he really lays out some compelling evidence about his history and his closeness to basically a different faction of the Saudi royalty family that was closer to U.S. interests and U.S. intelligence and U.S. imperialism. And so when you get all of that information, you put it together, 
then you can see why there is so much outrage by the basically the 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 elites in this country over his murder as opposed to the murder of Shireen Abuakle. But um, I I definitely would point you to uh, Ben Norton and his site, Multipolarista, to listen to that podcast. He also transcribes his podcast so you can read it as an article. Right, right. Yeah, he's one of the better journalists around. So uh, they are in the press conference. People just heard calling for a U.S. investigation into her murder. And definitely, the, you know, they're very determined to stay on top of the story. And we, you know, as committed journalists who want to honor all journalists, especially real journalists, we have to honor that and try to stay on top of the story as well. And there were two stories that I saw that I thought, are related to you know her murder earlier this month, earlier in July, the House Rules Committee blocked an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act that would have amended the Espionage Act to prevent continued abuse against journalists, sources, and whistleblowers. And I'm reading this from um, the group's rights and dissent. And they say that had the Rules Committee approved the amendment put forward by Representative Rashida Tlaib, of Michigan and supported by Representative Ilhan Omar, Congress would have had a floor debate on the first substantive reform to the Espionage Act since the 1920 repeal of the Sedition Act. Instead, in a purely political decision, the Rules Committee ruled the amendment out of order. (laughs) So this is a Democrat-controlled committee. We have to remember that. And these are some of the same Democrats, corporate Democrats, who are persecuting and approving of the persecution of Julian Assange and just really allowing sources and whistleblowers to have that type of targeting and and persecution. Yeah, I would imagine that the reason that they struck down this proposal or they wouldn't allow it to proceed is because it's precisely because of Julian Assange and because they want to use Julian Assange to send a message to any, to all honest journalists of good faith and whistleblowers that this will not be tolerated, particularly as the United States devolves into its late stages of capitalism, which we know is fascism. And they don't want anyone to, uh, to disturb them or to slow their groove, so to speak. And so I would imagine there were high level discussions that that bill had to be tabled because it would, it likely would have jeopardized the punishment they seek to inflict upon Julian Assange and therefore dilute the message that they want to send to honest journalists and would-be whistleblowers. Right. So I don't know if it's a hard pivot or not, but I want to kind of pivot to the economy and to Ukraine and start us out with a story from Consortium News, uh, Caitlin Johnson. I think that it really allows us to explore a lot of topics within it. So Caitlin Johnson, in writing for Consortium News, posted this called The Most Dangerous PR War. Ukraine's celebrity-in-chief just took time off from his heavy schedule of appearances at major Western gatherings for a photo shoot with his wife in Vogue magazine. Now, she says, quote, Now, I know what you're thinking. How is Zelensky making time for a Vogue photo shoot amidst his busy schedule of PR appearances for other major Western institutions. 
I mean, this is, after all, the same Volodymyr Zelensky who has been so busy making video appearances for the Grammy Awards, the Cannes Film Festival, the World Economic Forum, and probably the Bilderberg Group as well. And having meetings with celebrities like Ben Stiller, Sean Penn, and Bono, and The Edge from U2, it's as busy a PR tour as he could possibly have without having a discussion about the strategic importance of long-range artillery with Elmo on Sesame Street. And also, isn't there like a war or something happening in Ukraine? You'd think he'd probably be somewhat busy with that too. End quote. So, you know, she's poking fun at it, but it's very serious. And it just kind of the latest in this perception managed war. We talked about that before, it being more in an information war as well as an economic and hot war. Yeah, I mean, this war in Ukraine is really, and this is true, I think, of the class war, the global class war, you could say. They're both, they're wars of narratives, right? And increasingly, as the facts become more and more one-sided, right, that this thing is not going to work, they have to manage it, right? And so we're left with, uh, I think it's the the writer uh, John Glubb, who was like one of the viceroys in India before it, when it was a colonial state. And he wrote about the seven stages of empire. And I don't remember all seven of them, but I remember the last one was the age of spectacle. That's what we're in, right? We're in this age of spectacle where we see, you know, the president of Ukraine doing a photo, a really glamorous photo shoot, you know, when he should be fighting a war that apparently is about Russian imperialism. Although, I have yet for anyone to identify for me any state that Russia has colonized since 1917. I've not heard of it, so I'm not sure what they mean by Russian imperialism, but apparently they believe that Ukraine is being, uh, Ukraine is an, is an attempt at colonization by the evil and wicked Vladimir Putin and not of NATO aggression trying to basically surround uh, Russia and to marginalize China, which of course anyone with any common sense would know is impossible at this point. But it's this narrative of the United States as the good guy. You know, Captain Avenger has the shield, right? As Danny Haifong noted in his great book on American exceptionalism, to defend us. And you hear, of course, you know, these ridiculous people everywhere, all over social media and in the media talking about, you know, the American military defending our defending us. Defending us from what? What nation has tried to invade the United States? Not at least since 1941 have we had any attempt at aggression towards the United States by another country. And so, yeah, this narrative just becomes, and it becomes sillier and sillier. And actually, I, I'm wondering about the 1917 reference you made. I don't, I don't think that that wasn't a, co- a colonization either by Russia. It was, it was a revolution. <laughs> No, it wasn't. No, I'm just saying that. Yeah, yeah. Not since, not since. No, I'm saying not since the the czars were toppled has Russia colonized a, a a country, right? Not there. There's been no imperial ambition by Russia, you know. And I'm not saying that Russia is innocent or anything like that. But I'm saying they're not imperialists. They've not been imperialists for more than a hundred years. That's just a fact if you understand the meaning of imperialism. But it's just this war of narratives in which Russia remains the bad guy despite the best available evidence, which says that we're the bad guys. NATO is the bad guys. Germany, France, the UK, the United States, Canada, we're the bad guys. Russia, if nothing else, is just defending its interests and its territory. If we left them alone, there would be no beef, right? It's not, this is a beef entirely of our making. And so, yeah, this narrative becomes important because what, what's the what's the Voltaire saying about if you can make people believe 
I can't remember the exact quote, but if you can make people believe the most incredible thing is you can get them to commit atrocities. That's Ukraine, right? We're we're supporting avowed neo-Nazis uh, in a war of aggression against Russia. And it's because we believe that Zelensky and his wife are somehow these cultural iconic figures and like Madonna, you know, who basically stole her entire repertoire from black people, that he's on the cover of Vogue, you know, these fabulous clothes. It's just, <laughs> it would be funny if it weren't so tragic. I'm going to take a, a brief break, but uh, I, I hope that the people who, who held this ridiculous hearing here in D.C. recently on decolonizing Russia, they don't get wind of your conversation because they'll give them more more uh, ideas about uh, their their ridiculous theories to decolonize the country, break it apart, which is what they want to do to make it uh, like like they broke up Yugoslavia and and to make it conquerable for and accessible for its very rich resources from the Atlantic to the Pacific. I'm Esther Averam, and I'm in conversation with John Jeter for this month's episode of On the Media, and we'll be right back. on the ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Rivera. I'm speaking to John Jeter for this month's episode of On the Media. And John, before the break, we were talking about the the perception-managed war that we're in and President Zelensky on the cover of Vogue. But the other perception-managed issue is the economy. And there were all these uh, draconian sanctions put on Russia uh, right after the start of the their invasion of Ukraine. And so you remember President Biden announced at his State of the Union address that the ruble would be rubble, but the ruble is stronger than ever. Europe is struggling. They just announced uh, rations of natural gas, you know, as the fall and the winter approaches. There are serious consequences for not only Europe, but also the United States in terms of the economy and also for food and just the economy in general for, for the globe uh, because of these sanctions. And now as the war is going very badly for Ukraine, now the U.S. seems to be pivoting toward Taiwan to maybe deflect our attention. I don't know. Uh, very crazy um, imperial overreach, I guess, as Gerald Horn called it last week. Yeah, the connections, I think that's what the media fails to do. And we've talked about this a lot, Esther, the contextualization of, you know, war and poverty and, of course, racism, as Martin Luther King told us. Uh, the reason Ukraine and the United States is so interested in Ukraine is because the corporations in the United States are having a harder and harder time making big profits from the American population who are more and more in debt, uh, stressed financially and can't afford to buy the goods and services that the corporations produce. And so they have to go overseas to squeeze other markets for sometimes raw goods, sometimes for their workers. But uh, Ukraine is one of those places where we 
Basically, the intent was to loan them a lot of money. Now it's to sell them a lot of weapons. But of course, those are very finite programs. They have a an end date. Uh, and so, you know, they, they have to scour the world. Well, what's happening right now, and you see this everywhere around the world. You see it in Sri Lanka. You see it in Italy. You see it in Greece. You see it in Argentina. South Africa is, is, is about to explode. This unrest because the macroeconomic system they've imposed on all these countries around the world uh, basically since certainly beginning with the Reagan administration and really sort of accelerating with the Clinton administration is this what we call neoliberalism, which favors the favors capital at the expense of workers. Well, now we see it at home, right? It was announced that the United States economy, the GDP, uh, our production of goods and services overall, has shrank for, for the second consecutive quarter. First quarter shrank by 1.6%, this quarter by 0.9%. Yet, Despite that fact, you don't see much of an uproar. I went to the New York Times and the Washington Post just to see what they said about it. And it's on the front page of their internet uh, edition, but down below, I thought the headlines would be shrieking that the economy has shrank for the second uh, consecutive quarter, which would mean, by most estimates, that's the, tip, the typical definition used for a recession, two consecutive quarters of economic contraction, right? It's used around the world has typically been used to define recession in the United States. And yet they buried these stories. And I even see attempts in the mainstream media to say that that is not the two consecutive quarters of economic contraction, GDP contraction, is not the definition of recession. Well, it always has been. And, and so it reminds me very much, uh, because I'm old, of how they changed the definition of unemployment. I think it was in Reagan's first term. When unemployment was such a problem that they had to redefine it just so it could look manageable to the American people and to sort of keep people from pouring into the streets in protest. I think this is very much the same thing. I think right now, the United States, both parties, Democrats and Republicans, are just throwing stuff up against the wall to see what sticks. They have created this tempest, and it ain't a teapot. It's the world over, right? And they're trying to figure out how can they keep people watching, you know, the Kardashians and and Real Housewives of Atlanta, right? And, but but don't go out to the streets. Don't cause problems. Don't demand health care or lower prices for food or, you know, none of that, right? And so, the, you know, this is all very much staged, but the media is a uh, study in managing decline, right? Managing oppression. <laughs> so, you know, if we were a functioning democracy, you would be hearing nothing else but... We're in a recession. We're in a recession. But you don't see that. There's very little talk of it so far. Maybe maybe that will change in the upcoming days, but there's very little talk. And they've covered the economy, you know, rising prices, but they never connect the dots. There are a few other pieces of this that I want to bring in. I think you know that on Thursday, Biden announced the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And it's a basically greatly diminished version of what was Build Back Better like last year and that has so many different needed benefits for the American people, you know, like a child tax credit and free community college and my goodness, you know, uh, Medicare negotiated drug prices and uh, so many things that I can't even remember right now. But this Pared Down Act is really dealing with the climate some aspects of the climate portion of the of Build Back Better, 
things that are needed to address the climate catastrophe. But it's not really necessarily dealing with inflation, but because we're in the run-up to the midterms and the Democrats are in a fight for their lives, they see that they may, because of this disastrous opinion around abortion, they feel they may have a chance to, to not to have such a total total defeat in November and that they may hold on to you know one of the houses of Congress, if not both. They, um, despite the gerrymandering by these Republican uh, state legislators, so it's being couched as an inflation fighting act, but it's very little really dealing with inflation. (laughs) Two other things have not received much notice in mainstream media, but a labor advocate leaked the draft of legislation co-sponsored by Henry Cuellar, which would basically weaken minimum wage laws. (laughs) And this came out this week. I'm reading from a piece in Common Dreams that said, labor experts and advocates expressed disbelief and outrage as the details of an unconscionable new bill purporting to expand flexibility and choice in workplace came to light, condemning Democratic co-sponsor Henry Cuellar for proposing the gutting of minimum wage protections. And so this is amazing. You have to go read this piece in Comet Dreams. And it's very connected to this strategy of basically blaming the the benefits that people received during COVID, saying that they want to increase unemployment to fight this uh, looming recession and inflation, blaming workers for making too much money, you know, blaming workers for fighting for better salaries. And so this guy comes along, Cuellar, who they, uh, the Democratic machine, just back to the hilt to defeat uh, a progressive young Jessica Cisneros in Texas. So, you know, with APAC money, everything, you know, guns blazing to defeat another progressive from coming into Congress. This guy, Henry Cuellar, is the one proposing these measures to say, oh, you know, 725 is really too much for most people in this country, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And then we don't have time to get into it, but I want us to keep our eye on the Biden administration's new effort to restart kind of a clone of the TPP. It's called the Indo-Pacific Trade Talks. And this is something that will uh, basically, you know, be a new attempt to create this knitting together of new uh, trade relations for countries and corporations around the world that will bypass, that will attempt to bypass what are human rights laws around labor and environmental justice. Environmental right, right. You know, and so you have all these conflicting issues involved with uh, them supposedly fighting inflation, but fighting inflation by, you know, attacking and targeting working people and and jobs. Killing jobs. Yeah. Attacking workers. Right. And then in these secretive talks to start this new, you know, possible global system that will put the you know, further put people under the thumb of corporations. And I just want to say very quickly, people should understand, uh, and I don't know what's in this new bill, but I would assume it it resembles the TPP. The TPP is a a fascist piece of legislation as it was proposed. It was a bill to circumvent, to override the democratic will of the people. And so this, I'm sure, is very similar. And so people should be aware of that. This is not just sort of some kind of partisan bickering. 
All right. Well, we have like two minutes left if we can kind of jump into some quick cultural pieces. But you go ahead. Do you have any cultural items? Only one. Um, and I don't know what to make of this. I just find it very interesting. The This Saudi Arabia-backed golfing league, professional league, which is created as a rival to the PGA tournament, right? With the old stodgy PGA tournament. This league is paying golfers millions of dollars, even more than the purses that we see in the PGA. And we see people like Charles Barkley as, as being recruited to sign on as, I don't know if, if he's going to be like a, an announcer or something like that, but they're recruiting all these big names. Uh, a few have, have refused them, but it's causing a stir because the, the families of the people who were killed in the 9-11 attacks, of course, are reminding people very, very vocally that Saudi Arabia was behind the 9-11 attacks. And they're, you know, uh, questioning why money seems to take precedence over morals, any kind of scruples or, or responsibility to our country. So I just find that very interesting, you know, the contradiction, one more contradiction that we see sort of that's just too big to ignore. Uh, you know, we heard all this patriotism for all these years about 9-11 and the people who perished in that horrible attack. But yet when the money, when the money is staring people in the face, we go with the money. <laughs> God bless them, but we got to get that money. Right. Okay. So I saw this on Thursday and this is a group, I guess, called Juice Media, I think out of Australia. And it's really focusing on the U.S. Supreme Court. So maybe we can go out with this. I'm sure I'll, I'll have to, to bleep a lot of it. Hello, I'm from the U.S. government. No, not that. Or that. Your actual government. The Supreme Court. You know, the guys who brought you voter suppression. Citizens United. And this global terrorist. SCOTUS. SCOTUS. Even at the best of times, SCOTUS gives zero f***s about democracy. We answer to nobody. We overrule laws made by Congress. Our justices are appointed for life. And you don't even elect us. To be fair, you barely elect the people who do appoint us. But here we are. And now that we finally have enough Federalist Society nutjobs on the bench, We'll be using this court's unchecked power to wrong some rights. Like the right for women to have no control over their own bodies. The right for kids to be indoctrinated at school. The next mass shooter's right to flog their weapon in public. And the right for polluters to kill even more of you in heat waves, floods, and fires. But we're only just getting started. In our next term, we'll decide if Republicans have the right to steal the next presidential election. That's right. We'll be ruling on the theory of independent state legislature. Independent state legislature legislature is a judicial fart cooked up by these three bandits who helped steal the 2000 election in what's widely regarded as one of our rulings ever. The theory proposes that during presidential elections, state legislatures have the power to ignore your votes and choose their own electors, which is handy if none of your favorite presidents have won the popular vote this century. And if state courts try to stop the by upholding their constitutions, the theory says SCOTUS should step in to decide the outcome of the election. Yep, just like what happened in 2000. History was almost repeated at the last election when Il Duce asked us to use this very theory to invalidate your mail-in ballots in a bunch of swing states. Unfortunately, we didn't quite have the numbers to help him out back then. But now, we do. Trump 24. Brought to you by SCOTUS. SCOTUS. Authorized by the Department for Thinly Disguised Plans to Usher in a Theocratic Christian Regime. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. 
<laughs> and that was from the Juice Media from Australia. We are totally out of time, but that little piece has given us a lot to think about and to work on for our next segment on the media. But for now, I'll have to uh, thank my guest, uh, our media critic, John Jeter. Thank you, John. Thank you, Esther. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, the Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network, on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Averam, and on our website, onthegroundshow.org. In addition to communicating with us on our website, you can let us know you like the show on Twitter, Facebook, and on Patreon.com at On the Ground Show. The music we play this hour included Tambalo by Kalash. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show. If you have not already subscribed at Patreon, you can do so for as little as $3 a month or all at once at $33 for the whole year. And I know that the show is worth more than that to you. If you like the show, if you love the show, if you regularly check it out, if you rely on it, if, you know, it's a part of your soundtrack in any kind of way, please support. Go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And I would very much appreciate your support. And it would mean so much to us at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show. Or you can go to the show website, which you might go to anyway, if you reach the blog that way and you click on the donate now button or the, um, support donate button and you can see all ways to give.